start a new series today. It's kind of new. It's already in progress, actually. Uh, we've been uh, talking pretty much since the pandemic uh, took us into our homes uh, about what really matters. And it's, it, I've already told you, it's kind of what we talk about every week, I hope. <laughs> you know, if I don't get up here and preach you something that doesn't really matter. But uh, as we've gone through what really matters, we've centered most of our teachings in the book of First Peter. And so we thought, hey, why don't we just keep going? You know, just because. And so we are. And we've come up with a really clever name for this series on First Peter. Want to hear it? First Peter. There you go. So we read a verse last week in our time together that I want to kind of start with this morning. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable uh, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you're here last week, we talked about the importance of our actions and how our actions speak. We've all heard the sayings, actions speak louder than words. St. Francis of Assisi says, you know, share Christ always, share the gospel always. If necessary, use words, right? Uh, these are great reminders of what Peter told us last, last week. Our actions matter. And uh, he says here, we, we want to do what's honorable among the Gentiles so that they can't malign us and speak against us so that they can glorify God on the day of his visitation. He, um, he kind of sets this up for the rest of the book because he, maybe you were wondering as we read those verses last week, well, what does he specifically mean? What, what areas are we meant to honor God so that our lives point people who don't know him yet back to him and lead them to glorify him? Well, uh, the rest of his letter is going to clarify just a few of those spots where honor is to be shown. And today we start with one of my favorites, our government. It's only fitting that on this uh, week where we celebrate the birth of our nation, the 4th of July, uh, that we talk about this. Um, with all that's going on in the world, let me just start right off the bat by saying this. I am proud to be an American citizen. I am grateful to live in a country that has been, uh, oh, thank you. That's the easiest applause I will ever get. Yeah, um, we're blessed to be called Americans. Um, I even dress for the occasion. I got the red, white, and blue shirt on. And I don't know if you can see online, but I'm wearing the American kicks. There they are. Anyway. Um, but it's not just because of my feelings and affections for our nation that uh, it's good that we're talking about this. It's, it's important because um, in our current scenario, we are experiencing more government involvement than I remember ever experiencing in my 50 years of life. I mean, sure, they've always been involved in mandating things and laws have been in place and all that stuff, but we just kind of lived, right? But here in the last three or four months, uh, we've been waiting for Fridays to find out what's changing in our culture. You know, whether it be uh, three months ago, three or so, so months ago, we, we were told to stay home. Um, the economy was basically shut down by our government because of this pandemic. Uh, we have these very strange, not normal uh, rules about distance. Um, we're bumping elbows and trying not to get too close. We're uh, wearing masks in businesses. Some of you are wearing them today. Some of you aren't grateful either way. I got a cool mask handed to me right before the service started last. I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but it's a, it's a Boston Red Sox mask. I'm very happy about this. Fellow fan. Supporting. Anyway, I'll be wearing that out in the uh, world as the week goes on. Um, but uh, but here's, here's, here's what I know about our government is that um, they've been forced in, or, or have stepped up in, in various ways throughout this past four months to, you know, provide for us. But <laughs> people have fallen on different sides of those uh, mandates. Has anybody noticed this? Like if you go to one news channel, they have this slant. 
And we'll talk about how the government's doing a horrible job. If you go to the other side, they'll have this slant on another channel and tell you how it's doing a, a great job, right? Uh, and, and so it seems like in the, in the culture that we live in, everything gets put in one of the boxes. You're either this party or this party. You're either for this or against this. You're, you're just, we're polarized more than I remember us being. We've always been, don't get me wrong. We're people, we're sinners. But it's, it's in a greater way now than it's been in my lifetime. Uh, even in the church, you know, there's, there's differing opinions on uh, how we should approach politics. Some people are just like, yeah, don't bother me. Uh, we're less concerned with the political process. You know, leave that to the other people. We'll vote. We'll do our part. But, you know, I'm just not going to get all fussed out about it. Others, this, that's like our thing. We can't wait to get on Facebook when we get home from work so we can start reacting to what's happened during the day. Uh, we are active in uh, campaigns and, and love that side of our people too. You know, it's, it's great for us. And we're going to talk about that today, to be involved in our government. Certainly where we can uh, influence legislation to aid in our presenting and, and pushing of the gospel in our world, we need to do that. We shouldn't just lay down and, and passively let governments do what they do, especially in a democratic society. But um, here, here's been my uh, approach to this whole subject. I, I love our country, second to my love for our God. I, uh, I want to be a God-honoring patriot. I, I want to vote, as we get to do here in November, as God directs me. Not as some radio host tells me, but as God directs me. I want to do my part, but I want to do my part as a follower of Jesus Christ first. Because, see, I don't, I don't see uh, <laughs> our citizenship as the same as other people's citizenships here in our country. I'm not defined by my nationality first. I'm defined by my faith first. I'm a Christ follower. So regardless of where we land on the political spectrum, if you're uninvolved or over-involved or uber-involved or however you wanted to classify it, let's all remember... When it comes to us and our government, we are Christ's first. And America's somewhere down the line. Paul wrote this on the, the subject, though, as we kind of pop the cork here on this understanding of Scripture. In Romans chapter 13, he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. All governments are because God has appointed and allowed them to exist. Be subject then, or therefore, excuse me, for whoever resists, the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Let me just summarize what Paul said there. First of all, he said, God is ultimate, and he's the final authority in life. He's sovereign. Is anybody grateful for that? Okay, me too. He institutes our governance as our sovereign Lord, as our sovereign God. He is in control of what happens on this earth. He institutes and allows the governments that take place. He, we are subject then to those that he institutes. Now in our society, in a democratic society, that looks different than maybe it does as we're going to study here in 1 Peter back in the day when a Roman emperor was in charge. But, but we're still subject, whether we agree with our politicians or those in power we're still subject to those that he institutes. To, res to resist those that God puts in place is to resist him, Paul says. And if we resist our governing authorities, we shouldn't be surprised if judgment visits our lives. It's, it's what God 
put in place. And so what he has instituted, we must honor. Now, turn back to 1 Peter and we'll continue in this discussion as we look at what Peter has to say about our standings with our government. Before we read them though, let me just make sure we're clear. As we read earlier, uh, that we should be honorable amongst the Gentiles so that in all things we can bring about the glory of God. When it comes to our government, that's still in play. When it comes to our government, our chief aim is not our government or defying it or complying with it. Our chief aim is the glory of God and, and the furthering of our gospel. Now, would you stand and read with me? Some of you guys are in the room. Let's stand and read. If you're at home, I'll never know if you did or not. But if you'd like to stand and read, just get out of here. I know you got the, your feet are up in your recliner. I get it. Just, but go ahead. Uh, read with me. First, or first Peter chapter two, starting in verse 13. It says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living servants of God. Honor everyone, love your neighbor, fear God, and honor the emperor. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat if you're here in this room and at home if you stood up. What's Peter trying to tell us? Uh, about our relationship with those who govern over us. At least three things, and I'll start with this one. He says in verse 13 that we should honor God by submitting to earthly authorities. We are to honor God by submitting to earthly authorities. Now, I could have just said that uh, by saying just submit to earthly authorities. It would still cover what it's uh, teaching us here in this verse. But I, I want us to make sure that we remember Christian first, American second. I am honoring God as I submit to the government that he's allowed to rule over my country. It says there in verse 13, reading it again, be subject, why? For the Lord's sake, to every human institution. This is one of those uh, times where Bibles uh, have a hard or a difficult time translating a word. That word institution is actually the Greek word for creature. Everywhere else in your Bible, it's translated creature. So it could read, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature. Um, people have wondered why they would do that. And some of them in this Bible, the English Standard Version has even said institution. We'll change it from person to institution. Uh, but I, I like it better as person, every human creature, every human person. Why? Because in the context that Pete writes this, he's writing in an age of a Roman emperor who was seen by the Roman Empire as a god. He was a deity to be worshipped, not just a, a governor to be, you know, honored. And so uh, in his own way, Pete says, all right, we're going to be subject to our governing authorities, but we're not saying that Caesar is God. He's a human creature, a creation of the one true God. I thought that was cool. thought I'd pop it in. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature, whether uh, he be the emperor or supreme or to the governors that are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That word be subject to is the Greek word hupotasso. Everybody say hupotasso. Maybe you remember, I've, I've gotten you to say a lot of Greek words in the past. Has anybody noticed that? Like gyro and anyway, uh, opa, anyway, uh, 
But hupotasso is one that keeps showing up in our Bibles. It's a very common word. The, the theme of submission is, is prevalent in our scriptures. And, and, and here it arrives again, hupotasso. When it comes to your government, hupotasso. What does hupotasso mean? Hupo is actually hypo, which means under. And tasso is the Greek word for place. So it's basically saying consciously, um, objectively, intentionally, place yourself under the government that is, a, is over you. Now this would have been difficult for Peter's original readers to hear. They were living in the first century in a time where the Roman Empire was in charge and the Roman Emperor at the actual time of this writing was a guy named Nero. Anybody ever heard of Nero? If you can't remember Western civilization classes from high school, Nero was nasty. I looked him up online this week and, and literally the first five or six searches were all about the top 10 worst leaders in world history and Nero was on all their top tens. He was crazy. Uh, when when the, the, the city of Rome caught fire and almost burnt entirely to the ground during his reign, during the time of Peter's writing, you may remember who Nero blamed it on? I'll tell you, the Christians. And so began in great part the persecution of the early church. It's under Nero's watch that Peter writes, be subject to your government. To define Nero, Nero was a certain death. Even to obey him was no guarantee. And, and, and this brings up a very important point in part about just not just our, our relationship to our government, but our relationship to everything in life. When God commands something, it's not something that we do to bring about a certain result. In fact, a lot of times we'll be righteous. Has anybody noticed this? We'll do the right thing. And everything uh, will be lined up for us to achieve the best result. And the best result doesn't come because we're living in a world where sinners uh, often don't pay heed to the right choices that we make. And they still do the wrong things in response to our right. Does anybody notice this? And so again, we come to this truth that it's not results-based obedience in the Christ life. I honor God, period. Regardless of what comes, I do what I do, not just here with the government, but in all things for the Lord's sake. If we could just learn and apply that, oh, if I could just figure that out. And when it comes to my marriage, if I look at Eleanor and I love her as an act of worship to God every time, that's the first stop in anything that I do in my relationship with my wife. It is an act of honor and worship to my God. I would choose that on the days where Eleanor, these aren't often, isn't lovable. She has far more of them, but she would worship God and love me on the days where I am not returning love to her. If I did everything in my life for the Lord's sake, how would that change my relationships with my parents or with my children, with my coworkers, with my co-brothers and sisters in Christ? How would it change how I handle suffering? If I saw in my suffering that this was for the Lord's sake, an opportunity for me to give honor and glory to the God who is allowing it in my life, how, how does these mindsets, how would these mindsets change our lives? So as it pertains to the government, we're to be good and active citizens, not for what it brings us, but for the glory that it allows us to bring our God as we put him and our gospel and our mission of everything else, uh, we do that 
in deference to our government. Peter goes on in verse 15, he says this, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By, by doing what honors the government, it's a means of us honoring our God. Now, Peter says something out there, else there in verse 15 that I want to bring out. It's the second thing that he's kind of saying to us as he writes these verses. He wants us to honor God by doing good in our community. Look what he says there, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Kind of picks up on what he was saying in verse 12. Hey, do good so that the Gentiles can't malign you, can't curse you, can't say, look, the Christians aren't any different. Do good. Give them no ammunition uh, for the things that they might say against you. Doing good. Paul talks about that a lot in his writings, in the letters to the Galatians, in the, letter, the second letter that he wrote to the churches in Thessalonica. Uh, he says this, do not grow weary in doing good. Heard that one before in a Bible talk? Yeah, we're not supposed to get tired of doing the right thing, of doing the good thing. And, and it applies here, as Peter writes, to our, our relationship with our government, our, our civic duties. We should seek the civic good, the betterment of our community as a, an act of worship and honor to our God. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that over time has done this again and again and again. As we have... Uh, uh, started and then participated in over the last 13, 14 years, uh, Feed the Bay, uh, as we have been a part of Gift of, of Hope, if we have, as we have uh, uh, served in other ministries like Women's Resource Center and, and ECHO and other organizations with our time and our treasures, as we've, uh, even in times of, of unique need, I don't know if you remember this, but three or four months ago, uh, we had this opportunity with other churches in our region to, to bless those who were serving in our COVID-19 um, uh, wards in the hospitals uh, with some you know, gift cards and, and cards of encouragement. Uh, whether it's giving people your shoes or buying you know, people's shoes, and whatever I've asked you to do, uh, our church, by God's grace, for the, you know, for the overwhelmingly most part, uh, have just you know, been available. And that, listen, that's what it is to be a good, not just a good Christian, but a good member of your community. To be willing to go outside the wall. Some churches think it's just us. And we're not going to make a difference. We're not going to make an impact. In fact, we're going to insulate. We're just going to turn inward. And we're never going to try to you know, be difference makers in the world. That's not what we've been called to in Scripture. It, it enables us, when we do good, to amplify our message. You know, one of my favorite professors when I went to seminary was a guy named Howard Hendricks. One of his favorite lines, you've maybe heard me say it before, I'll say it to you again. He said this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so certainly we should bring the gospel as we bring the, the help. I'm, not, not, I'm never separating the two. In my mind, they go together. But to bring the gospel without caring deafens or dampens the message. Now, Peter uh, takes us next into another idea. We, we submit to our government as an act of worship to our God. Uh, we seek to do good in our community wherever we can. The third thing is this, honor God by using your freedom to be his servant. Look what he says next. Kind of takes a little detour, at least from this, you know, the, the, the main thrust of his messaging. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He appeals to these 
readers in these churches in Asia Minor as free people. Were they free people? No, they were under the domination of a, a Roman em- empire. They were, uh, so he's not speaking of them nationally. He's not speaking of them you know, in a worldly sense. He's speaking of them in a spiritual sense. He's saying, hey, you've achieved spiritual freedom. As such, don't use your freedom to cover up evil by defying Rome and by defying your government, by doing things that would be outside of the will of God as it pertains to those in authority over you. Use your freedom to live as servants of God and in uh, humbling yourself to him for his sake, be subject to your government. Our nation has a different idea of freedom. We talk about it all the time. Um, We usually refer to it as our national freedom, and I'm grateful for mine. Is anybody else grateful for yours? Yeah, it's great to live in a country that's free. It's it's one of our markers as a culture. Uh, We sing about it in our anthem. It's where the the whole song crescendos, right? Or the land of the free. Thank you. No one's clapping. Just so if you're online. No, no, it's fine. No, no. Shameless. In our world, or in our country at least, it's one of our favorite justifications for whatever we do. It's a free country, isn't it? Anybody heard that? It's a free country. It's like that's a, an excuse for any behavior. For too many Americans, freedom means I can do whatever I want for me. Period. Freedom means I get what I want. I can do whatever I want, regardless of what it does to you. Regardless of what it uh, looks like if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ uh, in my testimony. I live in the land of the free. And that means I get carte blanche. I have these inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of my happiness. Can we pause for a second? Just think about um, every attitude that has led up to every sin in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think being American is being, you know, well, I do think being an American is being a sinner. We all are. Anyway, uh, but this mindset, I can do whatever I want for me. Can everybody see how that basically is the precursor of every sin that's ever occurred? We, We use it as our slogan, as our freedom but it's that freedom, listen, that freedom to do whatever I want for me is what we have been freed from in Christ. Freedom for a Christ follower is different. We don't stop off at national freedom or personal freedom as our chief aims in freedom. We, we filter both of those freedoms through our spiritual freedom that has been won by Christ on the cross. So I am not free. Look at me. Listen to me. We as followers of Jesus are not free to do whatever we want. We, if we are believers, are absolutely free in Christ. But that freedom means that I am beholden, not to a system of government, but to a king who is the king of kings. What he says goes. What he commands is what I respond to. And Jesus has made it clear that when it comes to our government, we seek to, wherever possible, submit to the authorities that he has put in place. 
I wonder if Peter's writing this and thinking back to his time with Jesus as they walked the earth together. In Matthew 17, this really awesome story occurs as Jesus and Peter and his other friends uh, are, are returning to a place called Capernaum. It's kind of home base for Jesus and the disciples during those years of his ministry. And, and they get there, and this is what happens in Matthew 17. It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, most scholars believe this is a temple tax. It's a Jewish tax. But it would still be, as, as the Jews saw themselves as a theocracy, it was a God-driven culture, even under the rule of Rome, it would still be this like governmentally seen tax. It's, it's not just religious, it's everybody pays it. And so it's, it's like an entry fee in a Capernaum. If you're gonna come hang out at Capernaum, uh, you know, this is your visa. You gotta pay the two drachma tax. So they came to Peter. And they said to Peter, hey, does your teacher not pay the tax? Apparently, Jesus walked past the booth on his way into town. And Peter said, yeah, we've paid the tax. Apparently, he had before. We pay the tax. And so when he came to the house where Jesus was, Jesus spoke to him first. He didn't give Peter a chance to say what he was there for. Hey, Jesus, apparently, we forgot to pay the tax. He just launches into teaching. Jesus is good at that, isn't he? He says, hey, Pete, what do you think, Simon? He calls him by his other name. From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Jesus poses a question. Hey, here on earth, do you think for a second that Caesar's family pays taxes? Do you think for a second that those high up in the government are contributors to the king's coffers? Everybody knew the answer to that. There were the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots paid the tax. I'm so glad it's different in our world. <laughs> so Peter says in verse 26, he says, well, the others do. The sons of the king, they, they don't pay the tax, the others do. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, he's being parabolic here, uh, speaking in parables. He's speaking in, in, in ways that, you know, maybe not everybody would understand, but we, especially on this side with the lens that we get to look back into this story with, uh, we understand that Jesus was speaking of a spiritual right. He's basically saying, hey, Pete, you and I, uh, as, as we seek to follow God, as you seek to follow me and you find faith in me eventually as I put my life, to, you know, uh, or give my life on the cross, um, we will be joint heirs, uh, you know, together uh, under the, the father who is the king. We're, we're the sons and daughters of the king. Do we have to pay the tax? No, we don't. Why? Because the sons, spiritually speaking, are free. We're free. Some of us would love to stop uh, right there. Awesome. I'm not going to pay my taxes this year. Bible tells me so. This is great. Spiritually, I've been freed from being beholden to any government rule ever. But that's not where the story stops. Verse 27, Jesus continues. And he says, however, even though it's true that we're free to not give offense to, to those in authority over us, to those that are, are in human rule, in, in earthly rule. I want you to go to the sea. This is great. I want you to go to the sea. I want you to cast a hook, and I want you to take the first fish that comes up, first fish you catch, and when you open its mouth, you're going to find a shekel. 
Uh, take that and give it to those who require this tax for yourself and for me, Jesus says. And this is kind of cool. I've caught, you know, several fish. None of them have ever had like a credit card in them. That would have been awesome, right? Uh, uh, but on this particular day, this fisherman, Peter, goes out, throws the hook in the water. First fish that comes out, there's a, there's a, a drachma. I'm sorry, a shekel uh, that was in the mouth of this fish. Uh, money currencies back then were actually coins that you would cut in half and cut apart. They were, they were done by weight instead of by denom denominations. And so uh, a shekel was a four drachma coin. And if you cut it in half, you got taxed for two. That's why the shekel was in the mouth. But don't miss the point. Don't, don't be like, cool, coins and fish, it's awesome. But don't miss the point. Jesus, who had just said, we're free, said, however, we are free to obey God and his mandates in honoring those he puts in power over us. When we think of this freedom, let's think of something that the Bible teaches. It's called meekness. Meekness is this uh, thing that's commended to us in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heard that one? Yeah, meek means not weak, but meek means I'm strong, but I choose to defer. I'm going to lay down my entitlements and my powers for the sake of love and mercy uh, to be in place. It's like a dad who, um, you know, after coming home from a long day of work, uh, dresses up like a princess with the boa and the tiara and sits down with his elementary-aged daughter and has a tea party. Doesn't have to do that. It's not in the rules. But because he loves, he submits. It's like the father who, in an arm wrestling match with his you know, uh, middle school son, allows the kid to win, which I never did, by the way, just so you know. When they can beat me, they can beat me, but not, you know. But I understand the concept. That's meekness. It's being in a position of power and choosing it not. So when it comes to our government, we choose meekness. We choose, even as those who have been spiritually freed, uh, to submit ourselves in obedience to God, for God's sake, to those put in authority over us. Martin Luther said it this way. I think it coins or catches what I'm trying to say. A Christian is perfectly is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So as we come to our last verse today, uh, I love how Peter kind of uh, you know ends this little run. Uh, he does it like I do often with my kids. Uh, if you've ever been a, a parent or someone in authority over someone else and you've given them a list of things to do uh, and you've sensed that maybe they weren't paying attention, maybe at the end of the list you give a recap. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Peter does that for us. He breaks it all down and recaps for us the things that are required of us. He says, first of all, verse 17, honor everyone. Love your brotherhood or love the brothers in the church and sisters, fear God and honor the empire or emperor. <laughs> honor everyone. That means everyone, not just your family members at home, not just your neighbors, but strangers, enemies, governing officials, even if they're not from your party. The guy that honks at you without cows and traffic happened last night, wanted to punch him. Everyone, listen, if you don't hear anything else this morning, Hear this, everyone deserves our best. Honor is to be given to all people. 
He, he takes it up a notch and he says, when it comes to the body of Christ, love the, bo- the body of Christ. Love your brothers and sisters. It's the word agape. Sacrificially uh, go the extra mile for them. Uh, he says, fear God. Fear God. This is so great. He's already made this a huge emphasis of what he's writing. Honor people for the Lord's sake. Honor your government for the Lord's sake. Do everything for the glory of God. He, he puts it in here one more time. Just in case you're thinking this is just this empty list that's not tethered to who you are in Christ. It totally is. We come as citizens of this country, this great country that God has allowed us to live in, seeking not first our agendas. We seek first to honor God as a support to those that he puts over us. We want to honor the emperor, and that's what we've been talking about all morning. Let me throw these last few thoughts in as uh, we go forward. When, when Peter wrote this, he was writing to a Roman Empire uh, audience, and they were under an emperor. It was a totalitarian, tyrannical rule, a uh, little different from what we have in a democracy. Anybody uh, digging the democracy? Anybody grateful that we get to elect officials and, and have a say? Is anybody grateful for that? It also affords us opportunities that weren't available back then. If you protested back then, you were dead. You were met with a sword. So in this era, let me just kind of summarize these things. We, we, uh, we, uh, as I've been preaching all morning, we seek wherever possible to submit ourselves to the authority of those who govern over us. When we sense that the things that they have mandated are unjust or incomplete or dishonoring to the will of God, we pick uh, up our right to protest in those situations. In fact, in our culture, most of the changes, the good changes that have come about have come as a result of citizens saying, this cannot be. You know, the whole revolution started with a tea party. We can debate the merits of throwing, you know, uh, tea into a harbor in Boston there, but, uh, but the point was we can't go on with taxation without representation, and it started the whole thing. When we get to the early 1900s, ladies, you still weren't able to vote, and so your uh, grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers, whoever it was, they, they took to the streets and won the right for the female vote. In the 60s, as the racial divide um, just caused things to boil over. Martin Luther King peacefully took to the streets, he and his uh, civil rights movement of you know, followers and friends, and uh, began the movement that still is being uh, protested to this very day uh, over certain things that are continuing, injustices that are happening in our world. We as Christians have taken advantage of this opportunity at different times in our history to protest the things that we are against. When I was in college, uh, the big thing was to, to protest uh, the abortion laws. And, and, and I, I feel like we, wherever we can, whether it's that issue or other issues, whether it's racial injustice, or we should be partners with those in our culture who come against the things that dishonor God. Now, having said that, we who are following Christ seek to honor God in our protests. We don't wreck things, steal things, justify actions against people that would be against God's will. 
We take the freedoms we've been given and we honor God with them at all times. But listen, every once in a while, where obedience is possible, we seek that. Where uh, uh, injustices arise, we, we seek to honorably protest those things and work through the systems of our government to bring change about. But there's going to come times, and there have already been times, where uh, obedience to what the rules of the government have asked of us would make us step across a line that would dishonor God. And in those cases, we choose civil disobedience. So when Rosa Parks sat down on a bus seat that she wasn't supposed to sit down, God was cool with that. God was okay with that disobedience because there should have never been a seat that had been kept from her. Uh, in the parts of our world where countries mandate that you can't be Christian, it's okay for those Christians to get together clandestinely or however they do it. They need to be willing to accept whatever punishments might come, but they certainly shouldn't obey their governments when it comes to worshiping their God. That may happen in our world. In this country, it may come about, maybe not in my generation or yours, but it may come about that eventually Christianity will be against the law. But may we join with our brothers of old, our apostle friends in Jerusalem, who, when they were told by the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling party there in that city to stop uh, professing the gospel. They kept doing it to the point that they got arrested. Anybody remember that story in Acts 4? They got arrested, put in jail, and while they were waiting their trial, uh, God opens the doors of their jail and they get to leave. So what did they do? Head for the hills? No. They rested up and they showed right back up at the same square where they got arrested the first the day before. They start preaching the gospel. They're getting ready to do court. <laughs> and the bailiff comes in and says, hey, uh, Sanhedrin, high court that's going to try these guys. They're not in their cells. And everybody's like, well, where'd they go? And they're like, well, they're right where we found them yesterday when we arrested them. And they're preaching that gospel again. And if you remember, they come into the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin makes it very clear. You can't do this. You can't preach the gospel. And Peter, the guy who wrote the letter, Pete says, hey, man, I'm paraphrasing. You do what you got to do. But when it comes to us and our Savior and the spreading of his good news, that's what we're going to do. And so now, may you and I, as it comes to our government, understand that God put it in place and we can honor him by wherever possible honoring it. Let's be active citizens. Let's do good in our community. Let's take part in our process. But let's have as our chief aim, not our nationality, but our spirituality. May we be first Christians and then Americans. You stand with me as we pray. God, we're so grateful to you as our way maker and miracle worker, as our promise keeper, as the light in our darkness for all that you grant us, God. In, in your word, the things that you teach us. Help us as we understand your principles, as we understand the things that you hope for us, for us to not just nod our heads in compliance and then walk uh, with hearts uh, not rendered and surrendered to, to those things. Help us to live, God, um, as, uh, uh, you know, patriots, as, as participants in this amazing country that you've given us, seeking your best, your glory, your honor, as citizens. Uh, may you receive uh, the glory from other people as they see us living out our lives uh, in honorable ways. May they be silenced in their criticisms of you and your gospel. 
because our actions drown those criticisms out. Uh, we love you, Lord. Let's sing that song together. servants. Thanks for the freedom, but help us to use our freedom to glorify you as citizens of your world, uh, of your reality of, of heaven and as citizens here of earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be some more announcements as we close for all of you who are online. Everybody, if you want to stick around and watch them, you can. But God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great 4th of July. We'll see you next week. Until then, be safe, be well, be praying. Peace.